Almighty and ever-living God, in your tender love for the human race, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon him our nature and to suffer death upon the cross, giving us the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of his suffering and also share in his resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, the other day, I saw a, uh, I saw a meme come through, and on this meme it had a picture of a very little kid, probably like one-ish or, or younger, so essentially a baby. Had, a, had the picture of that. He had a spoon and a box of cocoa in front of him. And then as the gif or jif or whatever that word is, as it started, it said, we've all been there. And as the thing started, his face was initially delight. as he put that cocoa, a spoonful of that cocoa in his mouth. And then you just watch the expression change from this delight to total, utter disappointment. He didn't get what he expected. He expected one thing, but got another. The, it, 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 it was a slow reaction for that awareness that this is not sweet like I expected, which is the same thing I thought when I first... Now, when it said, we've all been there, I didn't know it really meant we've all tried to taste cocoa thinking it was going to be good, but I've done that as well. But we've all been there in the sense that we've all had disappointments. We've all expected one thing in, in some form or fashion and received another. That's what we're going to experience on this glorious day we know as Palm Sunday. Um, we sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And these people, they chanted that to praise him as he was coming in to the city. This is our king. This is the one who saves us. But it is these same people who would disown him by Friday. So now a lot of times we, we are not clear on timelines or from one verse to the next. We've skipped a lot of time. Beginning today, and as you're doing your, if you're doing daily readings and what have you, you're going to walk through this week. And there's a lot of the Gospels that's devoted to just this week. And the reality is it would have been as he entered, it really is like by Friday he's hung on the cross and they've turned their back on him. So this is, this is a startling thing. They're saying, here comes our king, our king to save us. So they expected one kind of king, but they received another. And they didn't know what to do with him. I think this lesson to, for us today, it helps reshape our thinking, it recalibrates us, if you will, and it, and, and it prompts us to ask, for what kind of a king are you longing? What kind of king are you longing for? What is it that you're seeking so the, the crowds, they were expecting a, a mighty and powerful political figure to free them from the Roman rule. But instead, they got a meek and humble king who was concerned about bringing eternal and spiritual freedom, not political freedom. In our world where we're very familiar with self-promotion, um, that happens even... And what, what has been interesting about the social media phenomenon is that Regular old folks that nobody really cares about get into the self-promotion. Like, don't you care what I had to eat today? I do this myself, and I know you don't care, but I'm posting it anyway because it was so good. Look at it. But in this world of self-promotion, and I mean, and it's everywhere, and and even in, and in the church, there's a thing where it's about a, a a particular personality, 
If the personality gets snuffed out, what do they have? And I don't know that answer. Um, this concept of, of self-promotion is huge. So this lesson for us, I think, is very refreshing so that we're reminded of the humility of Jesus. But it's not that we're only reminded of the humility of Jesus. It challenges us to be humble as he is humble. So we're going to look at this humble Jesus. And first we're going to see the humility in his uh, deliberate preparation. We're going to start in verse 28. It says, And when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount of, that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, where, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, they, they, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Now, I, I find this passage just rather interesting, and I have so many questions that can't be answered. But before we enter, it's, it, in the very beginning, it says, and when he had said these things, then he went on ahead going in, up to Jerusalem. So that line catches us up from wherever we left off in chapter 11, and we're going to go back and we're going to catch up. But as you know, he had set his face toward Jerusalem, and there, he, was, he was fixed. This, this is where he was going to go. And that's the turning point in the gospel, the recognition of who he is. It's that disclosure, and we're going to talk about that more. So once he's revealed who he is, he's headed toward Jerusalem, and he said that he's going to die. Um, and in three days, he would be raised again. Now, he has already said that. So now we're jumping ahead. That, and we know he has been in Galilee. He's been in Samaria. He's been in Judea. He's ministered in as many as 35 different places on his way here as he's zigzagging. And in this impeccable timing, he ends up in Jerusalem at Passover. He is now at the outskirts of Jerusalem at Bethany. And he had grown at this point quite the following. And more and more people would be surrounding him from this place just outside of Jerusalem to the point where he goes into the city. The crowds were great. And there was national tension in the city. Would Jesus make a move at this point? If so, what would it be? If he does, how would the authorities act? How would they respond? There's the tension in this story. So then we come to this passage we just read, and and Jesus would pass through this Mount of Olives just outside Jerusalem, and then he sends these two disciples ahead of him, and they're to go get this donkey. And, and then when asked, they're, they're going to just simply say, the Lord has need of it. Sometimes when I'm picking something up and somebody says, where are you going? I say, the Lord has need of it. And just see if, or see if, that's, see if that's sufficient. And most of the time it requires more questions and answers. I've not found that answer to be sufficient in most of my cases. But it was for them. And we don't know why. We don't, we don't know if, if uh, we don't know how Jesus knew that there was a, a, a donkey there. We don't know if he sent somebody further ahead from previous to prearrange these things. Could be that he exercised his omniscience, which he had brought in and constrained in his coming into flesh, quite likely, and or through the Holy Spirit. Um, 
we also don't really know about like these owners. What was their motive? Why did they give it to him? Had they heard about him? So did they know they were coming? If it was prearranged, maybe they knew these guys were going to come. That'd be one thing. Maybe they didn't know he was coming. He, they, they come. Why are you untying the colt? The Lord has need of it. Maybe this is the first they've heard of it. Oh, it's the Lord Jesus. We've heard of him. We would love for him to have our, our, uh, our donkey so he can come in. Perhaps it was that instantaneous. Um, and, and perhaps the decision was made just at that time. Now, those are the details where my mind wants to work, and they are really all irrelevant. Um, but you're like, how does that make any sense? And how can that answer be sufficient? It must have just been. Now, being the Lord of Lords, Jesus could have ridden into town on any animal he wanted. And in my limited experience with animals at all, I would think there have been better choices. But this, again, this is where his ways really are higher than my ways. And this is something that the Lord has planned from eternity past. So this timing is critical. It's, it's interesting, yes, that he arrives at, at Jerusalem at this particular time. He has chosen this unridden donkey intentionally. It wasn't by mistake. At this point, he has not put himself out there for people to marvel at. You know, and when he heals people and people get amazed, he says, go away, don't tell anybody this. And they do. And the crowds grow. And sometimes when the crowds grow, he, he withdraws. He goes away. He's not, he, he is not looking for the personality. If anybody could be a personality-driven uh, minister, wouldn't it be Jesus? But even there, he's, he, he kind of hides himself. Except now, he's going to be on this donkey. He's going to be on full display. This is where that veiled disclosure, as we've talked about, as we come through the Gospels, and, if, and initially he doesn't want anybody to know, and we're talking about veiled disclosure. Peter recognizes him. There's, okay, it's been opened some more. The veil has been opened some more. That revelation of who he is has been seen more and more and more. At this point, it's like this full revelation of, of who he is. But why, why did Jesus choose the donkey? Well, over 500 years prior... Zechariah prophesied that the Messiah would come riding on the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, Jesus identified himself as the Messiah by coming on the donkey. He's fulfilling scripture. He aligned himself in this with that kingly line of David. So the the donkey at one time was regarded as a noble animal. So kings of the time of David and prior to him would be on a donkey. That was their animal of choice. But as time grew... This is interesting, I think. Culture changes. So this is, we see this right here. Culture changes. The donkey, for me as king, is beneath me. It doesn't support the dignity that I deserve. So we're going to move to horses. And so they do. But now this is hundreds of years that this move has happened. But you know, the word of the Lord doesn't change. Now the culture changes. Now, I don't, whatever water cooler you're hanging out, this is, this is conversation. It's 2019 for crying out loud. Get with it, you stubborn, stuffy Christian. We now know these things about this particular topic. 
and it's accepted everywhere. Therefore, you all need to get with the times. It is interesting in this passage that Jesus decides to go back to antiquity to pick up something that had been done away with. That in the cultural norm of the time, they would be like, why are you on a donkey? It's like President Trump coming to Parkersburg and he comes in in a pinto. You're not thinking that's going to happen. I wouldn't think that would happen either. I think it's a good comparison. But the striking thing, it's, there's, there's, there, there are a few things going on with this, but one of the big things and that stuck out to me is that the word of God, Jesus, doesn't change, yet culture does. So we've got to be careful of what it is we embrace. So he, he goes back and, and, and looks in history, and by doing so, he's obedient to Scripture. So, you know, we know about his obedience, so it's no wonder he goes back to be obedient to Scripture. And, and in doing so, he's aligning himself with David and the royal line of David. So the donkey illustrates Jesus' humility because just the animal itself and what he's riding on. Zechariah, who lived long after David and way before Jesus, wrote of the Messiah being humble and mounted on a donkey. And that's the nature of Jesus. He's humble. We read earlier in the Isaiah passage that he stands guiltless and shall not be condemned. Have you, have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? I can be defensive on stuff that... I, when, when you call me out for doing stuff I did do, I'm pretty good at being defensive then. But you call me out for stuff I didn't do, all my other thinking goes out the window, and my righteous indignation kicks in, or I should say righteous indignation. Because I think it's pride, and I rear up. Isaiah says that he stands guiltless and shall not be condemned. The passage in Isaiah, as we read it, this is not Isaiah writing about himself. This is Isaiah prophesying. He's a prophet. He's writing in the present tense about something that's happening in the future. He's writing about Jesus. So when you have a chance, take your bulls and reread that and, and recognize he's re, he, he is writing and telling about Jesus, the Messiah. There's a humility about him who is guiltless and cannot be condemned. And then, as we read in Philippians 2, which is, I, it, it'd be another one of my favorite passages. I don't know how many favorite passages I have, but I love Philippians 2, which says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Talk about humility. There's your picture of a humble servant. This donkey was even borrowed. It wasn't even Jesus's. This only adds to the point of, of his humility. He's, he's got a borrowed donkey. It's not even his donkey. The, the Lord owns the, th- uh, the cattle on a thousand hills. Okay, I think the Lord owns a lot of things. Seems like he could have ridden in something bigger, better. But he borrows a donkey. And yet, as he's coming into town, he's very in full control of what's happening that day and what's going to transpire in the coming week. Absolute full control. This lesson about the humility of Jesus, it makes me say to us, how does the Lord want to shape you in humility? Do you have a humble heart? Do you have a teachable heart? Are you willing to surround yourself with people who will speak into your life? Or do you guard yourself because you're afraid they will? That may say something about your humility.
Are you able, are you willing, are you willing to serve others without any recognition? As you do things for the Lord, are you able to keep a right perspective? So some of these things, I think, are developed, um, just like exercising in a muscle, over time through your spiritual walk. There are some things that come to us as just simply because we get old, we have a different outlook on things. But sometimes success, or success in ministry, particularly for a young man, young woman, can be a thing that almost um, stands as a, as a, as a, as a uh, testing point. So, because people want to sing your praises. I, I, I heard about Andrew's praises this uh, past week when I was, or whenever that was, week before last, when I visited with pastors gathering over at Ohio Valley College, Ohio Valley University, uh, not college anymore. But uh, in order to get chapel credit, you can help with Young Life, they said, and or you can help with the burn, which Andrew is doing. And I think all that is beautiful. But the, the, the warning comes in this passage to us as, what if you're the one with success? Kirk and I have talked about this, because there's a there, it's what, the type of ministry. It's a lot about personality. It's a lot about being in the front. It's a lot about putting on a show. But if you're not doing that for the right reason, if you're not in the Word, you won't be humble. So you need to put yourself in a position where you're willing to listen to others. And then, I, depending upon how those things grow, it needs to be a thing where the, that accountability even is greater. So the, the group is tighter, the, the relationships are stronger, and I want somebody to speak into my life. And that helps me when things are flourishing and big. It helps me when that, that I don't let this get into my head. It helps me when I'm not flourishing and I'm starving and I'm thinking I'm a failure because I'm doing the work I've been called to do and there's no numerical growth. In, in church planting, we always talk about we don't count nickels and noses. However, every time you get together, everybody's talking about nickels and noses. And so you can feel like a failure in those times. And so what you need is a close accountability and an encouragement from your brothers and sisters to speak into your life and be able to encourage you. Now that was that was just a bit of an aside, but it's a piece that I think is really important. And I think that uh, <clears throat> I think that there are, are uh, I think there's a lesson here in that self denial that we need to guard against if we're having success in anything. Now those are success in ministries, and I think those are some particular um, tempting points. But, to, but it could also be a success in anything else. The God, God has given you gifts to succeed in what you're doing. Are you recognizing that? And then are you doing your work for the glory of God? Or are you doing it for more accolades? And I, I, have, no, I have no problem with honoring and, and being recognized for good work. I think those things are good. But there needs to be checks and balances. Are you willing to do things for the right reason, even if nobody's noticing? So it gets deep, I think. How humble are you? How, how teachable are you? Next, we look at this triumphal entry. Verse 35 says, And they brought it to Jesus, that means the, that donkey, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
So this, this donkey's brought to him. They throw the cloaks on it, put him on it, and the march begins. The march into town begins. The, the triumphal entry. The king is coming into the town. And because this is recognized, not just by this author, but the, the, the people, the crowd, is recognizing that the king is coming into town, they throw their cloaks on the ground. It, it, this is a way to honor the king coming into the town and saying, all I have is yours. You do with me and my stuff whatever you will. I'm behind you all the way. They're all in, it appears. You know, there's a, there's a thing on Good Friday. There's a, a, a in in preacher world. There's a thing that's it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. In this case, it's really it's like it's Sunday, but Friday's coming, and we need to be aware of that. We need to feel the gravity of Friday coming, and we need to see how invested, how celebrated he was, how people were bought in in this moment on this day, and how quickly things turned. As they're getting nearer the town, more and more people come out. And this is a, this is a normal thing when kings would come into a town. And as that, as that uh, procession would come into the town, typically behind him are the captured kings, the captured uh, delegates from that town. They're coming behind him, and he's marching into the town, and the people come out to greet him so that he doesn't slaughter them. And he enters in might and power. So this coming out of the town to greet and, and, and honor is a normal thing of the time. And that's, what, that's what's happening here. And as this, it was already a big crowd. And it's growing because all these people have come out. And with it's picking up momentum. Uh, this multitude begins to rejoice and praise God. And they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now this is, this is a line from Psalm 118, which they changed from... Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They recognize that he is this long-awaited king, this Messiah, the one they've been looking for. And then they add peace in heaven and glory in the highest, which reminds us of the Christmas story where it is said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. But who sung that? The ones who sang that line in the Christmas story, at Christ's birth, because they were rejoicing, it was the throng of angels singing, peace on earth and goodwill to men. My translation says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the throng of angels singing about peace on earth. Now we fast forward to Palm Sunday, and as this throng grew on this processional coming into town, this earthly throng, they're gathering momentum and exuberance, and then the, uh, they are singing about peace in heaven. So you had the, the, the throng of angels in heaven singing about peace on earth. In this picture, we're see- seeing the throng of earthly people singing about peace in heaven. And the two are connected, and until we have peace with God, we don't have peace on the earth. John's gospel adds to this story so that this is where the palms come from. So far, we haven't covered any palms. We're talking about cloaks they throw on the ground. John 12, 13 says, So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So they run out and lay these palms so that he has a path to cross. And it's rolling out the red carpet. And Hosanna means to save. Hosanna means to save us. 
these people viewed Jesus as their deliverer. But it was a bit like that boy with the cocoa. They were looking for a deliverer. They believed Jesus was that deliverer. But he was a different kind of deliverer, a different kind of redeemer. Verse 39 says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He said, I tell you, even if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So what's that about? What is their motive? Don't really know. Did they think that Jesus shouldn't be praised? Perhaps. Did they fear that the Romans would catch wind of this big march coming into town and this one who's calling being recognized as a king and the, and the Romans might put a stop to it, even like with force, perhaps? Did they just not like Jesus and they didn't want him to have praise? That could be. We don't really know their motivation. But you just have to love Jesus' response. If you knew that this triumphal entry would lead to the cross where he would bear our sins and that from that it would lead to the resurrection, wouldn't you want to cry out? But the reality here is if you didn't cry out, the, the stones would. Why? Because all of creation has been groaning for the day of redemption. The all of creation has been longing for the kingdom to come, for the kingdom to break in. And renewal to begin. So even the rocks would cry out, is worthy of our praise. So what kind of savior, what kind of king are you looking for? Does the king, savior, messiah, that's described in this word of God, match what you're looking for? Or have you formed your own idea of what a God should be, of what a redeemer should be, and forgotten that? What is it you're expecting Are you having a cocoa kind of moment with Jesus? Have you wished for a redeemer to redeem you out of your situation, uh, to help you become a better person, to fix your problems, to remove your fears? Or have you looked for a redeemer who is capable of forgiving your sins? Have you recognized your sin debt against a holy God? Or are you looking for, really, a God, Savior, King, who can help you with self-improvement. Have you experienced this saving power that Christ offers? If so, aren't you willing to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, come and save us, for it is in you alone where we find our hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.